your opinion. Who is Jesus? See, now, see, now you won't start trouble. It's a myth created by man in order to control society. I don't, I don't consider Jesus my savior or my spiritual leader. He is a spiritual leader and right. one of the spiritual leaders I learned from. Who is Jesus? In Who your opinion. Who was he? Who was Who he? Who was he? Was a man. He was a man. Okay. Absolutely. Your opinion. Jesus is, in my opinion, yeah. he's everything around here. He's spiritual, everything, earth, water, fire, everything. Jesus is all that's good, all the things that are positive and affirmative in life. Uh, that's Jesus. I believe he's a higher power in the form of a man. Everyone else walking around, there's not another Jesus. There's just one. So yeah, I believe he definitely did something. Oh. Yeah, uh, like on Jesus like, is not a person. He's not a person. Okay. Okay. So do you believe he was a man or just like some higher power or? No, I don't believe in. Don't believe he even no. existed. No. Okay. No. Jesus is um, our savior. Jesus is everything. He's the reason why we live. He's the reason why um, we get to do the things that we do in life. He's my heart and he's what I speak through my poetry, through my work, through my everyday life. That's Jesus. Seems like a simple question, doesn't it? <laughs> but there's not a simple answer. And... Uh, that, that little video was produced by a church I attend down when I'm in Florida. It's Christ Fellowship Church in the West Palm Beach area. They have different campuses around. So it's kind of neat seeing some of the places. that We've, we've been to some of those places each, there sometimes. And just the people around there reminds us that there are a lot of views about who Jesus is. Uh, that first guy kind of sets it up, doesn't he? See now, you just want to start trouble. <laughs> Jesus is trouble, you know? Uh, Joe Stoll, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, has written a wonderful little book by that title. It's called The Trouble with Jesus. In it, he uh, tells a story about attending a prayer breakfast, an annual prayer breakfast in the Chicago area. He said uh, many prayers were offered. Um, some were offered to God. There was a representative of Islam there who prayed to Allah. He kept waiting, he said, during this whole breakfast to see if even the name of Jesus would be mentioned, and it was never mentioned once. He said the message was clear. The authentic Jesus is trouble. It's hard to include one who claims to be the only way to God when a diversity of ways is being celebrated. It's okay if you believe in Jesus, uh, they would say, just keep that to yourself. <laughs> Let it fit in with all the other views. Uh, you saw another view. Uh, some say he's just a myth. He doesn't exist. Some say that it was, they're antagonistic. Jesus and religion is made just to control people. They just want to control you. Some said he's one of many spiritual leaders. He's certainly not my savior, the one woman said, but he's a spiritual leader. Did you notice the one woman just changed the question? The man asked, who is Jesus? Who was Jesus? He's dead now. Who was he? He was a man. That's it. One, I don't even believe there is such a thing as Jesus. And then there's the, the woo-hoo people, you know. It's like, he's everywhere. He's like earth, wind, and fire. Oh, wait, I think he said earth, water, and fire. But I like earth, wind, and fire better, you know. <laughs> it's like, I, that was a good group. But anyhow, um, it's kind of like 
Jesus is like this pantheistic view, God is everything and everything is God and that kind of thing. And then there was one woman there who said, he's our savior, he's our everything. I want to talk to you today about who is Jesus and I realize that's dangerous because many of you here are saying, wait a minute, pastor, uh, I know, I believe Jesus, I know who he is, that's a settled matter for me, I think I'm going to check out. <laughs> if that's what you're talking about. And I just encourage you not to do that today. I was thinking about this. It's hard to prepare sermons, and it's also hard to listen to them. Sometimes it's harder to listen than it is to prepare. I'm encouraging you to please listen, because God has something for us. We live in a culture where all of these misconceptions and even hostilities toward Jesus Christ and the gospel are out there. They're in our community. That's not unique, uh, the people that we saw today. They're all around us. Jesus wants us to be ambassadors in this world. He wants us to represent him well. And he has something to say to all of us here today. So please hang in there with us today. I believe that we're going to see in our text three categories of people and how they respond uh, to who Jesus is. And I just want to ask for God's help as we look to his word. Can we do that? Let's just pray for a moment together. Lord, I thank you for this time that is really an important time because it's your word that we're looking to. It's, we're talking about the greatest person who ever lived or walked on the face of this earth. And it's certainly worth our attention today. You have something for each one of us that have come today. Pray, I, I pray that you'll give uh, everyone the ability to hang in there, to concentrate, to listen, and that your spirit would speak to us as your word is opened up today. We love you, and we want to grow. So let us hear from you, every one of us, in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about how God is a restoring God, and he wants to restore lives and the brokenness. He entered into the brokenness of our world. And he starts to demonstrate this by how he, he says, I, the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe this good news. And how it works is in the kingdom, there's going to be a reversal of the, the curses of sin in all different areas. So you see him starting to demonstrate that. A sickness is a curse that came in the fall. And so he starts to heal people. Evil spirits uh, possessing people, that is a, a curse. For, that's evil. And God, he, so Jesus casts them out. We're going to see him calm storms. See, nature's been... Uh, affected through the fall and he's going to be able to do that and he's giving us the first fruits of the kingdom he's showing us what it's going to be like in totality some future day right but he gives us the first fruits now and so the his popularity is growing and people are flocking to him and that's where we pick it up in our text today i'm going to get right at it it's in chapter 3 of mark verse 20 it picks up that story it says, then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. I love the Bible. Just, I mean, there's stuff in the Bible that it just tells it like it is. What people are thinking, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. It doesn't leave anything out. But first of all, the setting is this. Jesus, it says, went home. He, his home was at that time in Capernaum at the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And so he's been traveling around all these uh, fishing towns around the Sea of Galilee, preaching, teaching, delivering. He goes home. Once again, a crowd follows and gathers. I take it that they're not only outside, but they even probably came right inside of the house. And it says Jesus and his disciples couldn't even eat. 
Nazareth is just about uh, 20 miles away from Capernaum. Word gets back to Jesus' family what's going on. I don't believe it's just this incident, but just in general. Hey, crowds are coming. I mean, even his life's in danger. He's, he's really ticked off all the religious leaders. Now they're mad at him, and he wants to, you know, they want to kill him. And he's claiming to be the Messiah, or people are saying he's the Messiah. And the scripture says they went to seize him. They went to seize. That's a strong word in the original language. It means to arrest. <laughs> they went to place him under arrest. <laughs> they wanted to get him, and I, I think, assume he wanted to bring him back to Nazareth and just say, hey, Jesus, what's going on? This isn't good. But they tell very clearly what the motive is. It says that they thought he was out of his mind. Now, we don't know every nuance on that. It could be as simple as, hey, this, what's going on? Is cra- this is crazy what's going on with him. Let's go. We got to go help him. But I know this. The motive is love. They care for him. There's no, and they're not antagonistic here. They're concerned about him and they want to seek him out. I want to just give you, for those of you who might be new to the Bible, uh, first of all, Jesus' family. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit while Mary was a virgin. Okay? Jesus has an earthly mother, he has no earthly father. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus while Joseph and Mary were betrothed to each other. That was a legally binding as marriage, but the couple did not live together. They did not have relations together, marital relations together. The Bible says that Mary and Joseph did not have those relations together until after Jesus was born. But when Jesus was born, the Bible very clearly reveals that Mary and Joseph had other children, both boys and girls, men, women. And four of Jesus' brothers are actually mentioned in Mark chapter 6. So, and they were, um, let me give you their names. They're James, Hoses, Jude or Judas, and Simon. And it's an interesting dynamic because the scriptures tell us that during Jesus' ministry, Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. They, but listen, is it, it's, they know he's a good man. They know they grew up with, this, with Jesus. But it's hard to wrap your mind around your brother now claiming to be the Messiah. My, wait a minute. And it says that they, they struggled with that. And I believe that Jesus' brothers represent a group of people in our culture even today who are just wrestling with who Jesus is, okay? And that's the first category of people. They're not antagonistic against him, but they are just really sincerely wrestling with who Jesus is. You know, if, if they were asked, who, you know, who is Jesus? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm wrestling with that. You start talking about, you know, he raised people from the dead. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He, he you know, he himself was raised from the dead. I, Wait a minute. I'm trying to get my mind around that. I don't think they're antagonistic. They're just sincerely struggling a little bit. Like, I, I don't know if I can make that leap with him. Sometimes people will call those of us who do believe those things crazy. <laughs> you guys are crazy for believing that stuff, right? You know, all I can say if you're ever called crazy is that you're in good company. You know, um, um, D.L. Moody, who founded Moody Bible Institute, you know, they used to call him Crazy Moody. He'd preach out on the streets, and they'd say, that guy's crazy. 
Even Paul, remember, he's given a defense uh, of uh, actually telling his conversion story to King Agrippa and Festus, and he's going, yeah, and I was going to persecute and arrest these Christians, and this bright light came down from heaven. It like blinded me, and I heard this voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I asked, who is it? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then I fell off my horse, and I was led away blind. Three days later, this man came and prayed for me. I received my sight, and God called me to be a, a missionary to the Gentiles. And Festus is listening to this, and he said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. So listen, if somebody ever says you're crazy, you're in good company. It's hard to understand some of this stuff. You know, one guy that I think really represents somebody in the Bible who was struggling is Nicodemus. He's a religious leader of the Jews. He's part of the ruling council, and he comes to Jesus at night, and that's presumably so he won't be seen interacting with Jesus. But listen to how he begins with Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with them. See, I think he's wrestling. He's going, wait a minute. I know you're, you must be a teacher from God. God has to be with you. But are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? I think he's coming to, to get clarity on that. Friends, that's the first category of people. Those who are just wrestling with who Jesus is. But there's a second category in our text. And we'll have something to say about all of these categories when we conclude. But in verse 22, there's a kind of parenthesis in the story. Jesus' family hears about what's going on. They start out that trip. And now Mark actually almost puts like this incident in while they're on the way. Verse 22, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. Two charges are made against Jesus. First, they say he's possessed by Beelzebul. Beelzebul literally is a name that means Lord of the house. And in this context, they're saying he is possessed by the Lord of the house of demons, which is Satan himself. That's the first charge. He's possessed by Satan. Second charge, he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. That's how he's doing these. They don't argue that he's doing these miracles. They just say it's Satan that's doing it through him. Now, many people were coming to start to believe that Jesus may just be this Messiah. I mean, who else could do the works that he's doing? But the scribes come to counter it. <laughs> now, this man's evil. He has an alliance with Satan. That's how he's doing it. I believe these scribes represent a group of people, category number two, those who are rejecting Jesus. Now, it might be true that not everyone who rejects Jesus is as hostile as the, as the uh, scribes were. But really, the result is the same. When you reject Jesus, you're left alienated from God. Okay? Some people would at best say to the question, who is Jesus? Well, he's certainly not the Son of God. Or he's certainly not my Savior. But at worst, some would say he's evil. And Christianity is evil. But Jesus gives a chilling warning to the scribes in just a moment. But before he does... He takes a moment to answer the charges against him. And he says this in verse 23. And he called them, the scribes, to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. The first parable says, wait a minute. If Satan is casting out Satan, then he's actually working against himself. That doesn't make sense. Any kingdom where that's happening can't stand. And then he picks up on, remember, uh, Beelzebul means Lord of the house. And he says, and he adds this, and that house cannot stand if it's divided. And then he answers the second charge. He, get, he tells another parable and he says, first of all, if you're going to rob a house and there's a strong man inside, a guy with a sawed-off shotgun, you can't just go in and start taking his stuff. <laughs> you're going to have to make sure you subdue the guy with the shotgun before you take any of his stuff. And the message is clear on this. Jesus is saying the strong man is Satan. The house is the kingdom of darkness in which he operates on earth. The goods, his goods are the people held in bondage. And Jesus is saying... I'm delivering people from this not because I'm working with Satan or under his power, because I'm greater than Satan. I can bind Satan. He has no power over me. I can bind Satan and free those that are under his bondage. And that's the clear message. Now, he answers those charges, but then he gives them a chilling warning. And this warning has been, I'll be honest with you, a source of anxiety to many people throughout the years, and misunderstanding as well. Look at it in verse 28. It's a warning he gives. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. I don't know about you, but uh, first of all, it's chilling to think that there is a sin that can never be forgiven. Throughout all eternity, there's no hope to be forgiven. Many have called this the unforgivable or the unpardonable sin. Have you heard of that before? The unpardonable sin. And it attributes it to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What is this unpardonable sin? What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I think we all understand the word blasphemy is to profane or to treat with contempt something that is sacred. Now there's been differences of opinion. But generally speaking... It's been understood to be the ongoing, continual rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't fall asleep on that one. That's, that's not. Listen, the concept is this. It's ongoing, continued rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit to who Jesus is and what he has done. The scribes were ascribing the spirit-anointed work of Jesus to an evil spirit. The prophet Isaiah 
said these words, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There's a curse on those who would do such a thing. And to continue perpetually in the course of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit without repentance will lead to their sin becoming eternal. This puts this sin more in the, the category of not an isolated act, but an ongoing and continued rejection of the Holy Spirit's testimony of Jesus. I don't know that Jesus is saying that these scribes had yet reached that point, but he says you're in danger of it. There's a sin that will never be forgiven. And that's attributing to my work that that's the work of Satan. You are blaspheming the Holy Spirit who works through me. You know, when, when Jesus said the Holy Spirit was coming into the world, remember what he was going to do? He was going to convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. There's a witness from the Holy Spirit. People have this witness. It's the Holy Spirit's job. I believe every person at some point in their lives, some way, somehow, whether they've tried to push it away, uh, stop it, ignore it, there's a witness from the Holy Spirit that they are sinful and they need their sins forgiven. There's an inner witness that Jesus is righteous and they need a righteousness from him. And there's an inner witness that a day of reckoning is coming. We all will stand before God someday and have to give an account of our lives to Christ. So if you continue to uh, ignore, reject this witness of the Holy Spirit in your life, there comes a point where that will not have a remedy. I remember when I was a kid, I did not understand. I'd heard about this unpardonable sin. I didn't understand what it was or anything like that. But I remember being afraid that I may have committed it. <laughs> so I remember uh, I was a kid. I can't remember how old, seven, eight. I don't know what it was. But I was in bed and I'd be praying, Oh God, if I committed the unpardonable sin, please forgive me. Please for Oh wait, but if I did, you can't forgive me. Oh God, and I'm going... Oh. It's like one of those dreams you can't get there when you, when you, you know, it's just, it was like I was kind of tormented. But then I came to an understanding that it's not a single act. It's an ongoing rejection. In fact, even the fact that I was worried about it was evidence that I hadn't committed it. That was the words of J.C. Ryle. He was an evangelical bishop of Liverpool. He said this, there is such a thing as a sin which is never forgiven, but those who are troubled about it are most unlikely to have committed it. Most of those who are ignoring Christ aren't even thinking about it. There are some who are wrestling sincerely with who Jesus are. There's some who are rejecting, but there's one final category as the story gets picked up with Jesus' family at the end of our passage. Look at it. It's in verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside, seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. <laughs> Jesus is not putting down his earthly family. He's trying to lift up a spiritual family. And this is an amazing thing to me. 
He says that anybody who does the will of God gets the status of having a family relationship with Jesus himself. That was one amen. We need more. Amen. (laughs) That is awesome. A family status with Jesus Christ is available to those who are obedient to the will of God. What is the will of God first and foremost? That we receive his son, Jesus Christ. We believe in his son, Jesus Christ. At the transfiguration, the voice of God is heard. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Friends, listen to Jesus. I don't care who you are. Listen to him. Believe his claims. If you're obedient to him, he's offering you to be in his family. He's not putting down his earthly family. He's just saying what the gospel writer said to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. And the point is clear. The spiritual ties that Jesus, and I can almost see him like people sitting around him and who are my mother and brothers? And he looks around and anyone who does the will of the Father is my mother, brother, and sister. In other words, I have closer ties, spiritual ties to those who join my family through the spiritual birth of being born again. That's closer to me than even the physical relationship that I have with my half-brothers and mother. That's amazing. Well, friends, I believe that these represent a category of those who are receiving Jesus. Those who are receiving Jesus. People sitting at his feet, believing in him, honoring him, trusting that he's the Messiah, come from God, listening to his every word. They're being obedient to the gospel that brings them into the family of God. So we have people wrestling, people rejecting, and people receiving. And just some closing applications. I want to take each one of those groups of people and just give, first of all, an action point, a warning, and a positive example, okay? And we'll close. First of all, the action point for those who are wrestling, move to receiving. (laughs) You know, when Thomas was wrestling with the news, he wasn't present when... Uh, Jesus first appeared after his resurrection to the 10 disciples. He was not present. Uh, He said, I won't believe. You know the story. The next week, Jesus appears and, you you know, see my hand, see my side. And he says this to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Listen, the scriptures talk about Come, let us reason together. Christianity is not an unintellectual faith. You have to grasp certain truths. God's not asking you to assassinate your brain. But listen, at some point, there's so much analysis you can do, so much, you know, some people won't believe until every question is answered in their minds. Every theological question, everything, oh, if I don't have an answer to this, I will not believe, you know? that's not how you're going to come to Christ. You need to stop your wrestling. Stop doubting. Come to him. Believe in him. Don't you know the ways of God are higher than your ways? His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You will never be able to put everything together. You will never be able to make sense of this world and how evil and good works together. But God has given you enough. He's given you the witness of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for you and who was raised to dead 
from the dead. Believe. Stop. Stop your perpetual uh, wrestling because that's the warning given in the scriptures. You can become a perpetual uh, wrestler. (laughs) Doesn't sound like not one of those, you know what I mean. You can keep struggling and struggling. Paul wrote to Timothy and he talked about those who were always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. There's always, well, answer this question for me, Pastor. Okay, I'll try. Okay, well, answer this question for me, Pastor. Okay, here's here's the best I have, you know, I don't know. But it's like, but do you want to believe in him? Oh, I got, you know, no. The warning is you'll be a perpetual wrestler. And if you do that, that always leads to just being a rejecter. You're stuck. I want to give you a positive example to spur you on if you're, if you're wrestling. And it's Jesus' brothers. <laughs> they didn't believe in him. They had trouble processing. They were wrestling with it. But did you know after the resurrection, there's a gap in the ascension of Jesus. He goes back to heaven. There's a group of 120 that gather in an upper room and they're waiting on God and praying. And Acts 1.14 says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And listen who was there. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. <laughs> they crossed the line. They crossed over. They believed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Do you know that two of his brothers wrote books of the New Testament? James was one of his brothers, wrote the book of James. Jude wrote the book of Jude, and I like how they begin their books. James begins his this way. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, James, a bondservant of God and the half-brother, name drop, name drop, of Jesus. (laughs) No, like it's dripping with reverence. It's dripping with an understanding of, man, yeah, he was my earthly brother, but that, he's the creator of the universe. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I, they, they crossed over. You can cross over. Stop wrestling. If you, you're, you've thought about it. Now move. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God who died in your place so that you could be forgiven. Believe in him. For those of you who are rejecting, the action point is the same. Move to receiving. There's no other action point. Repent. That's the the preaching of Paul in the book of Acts. God commands all people everywhere to repent. He overlooked times of ignorance in the past. But now he's commanding everybody to repent because he's given a savior. And he's, he's shown proof by raising him from the dead. Repent. Believe that good news. The, because the warning is to continue to reject is you are in danger of an eternal sin. It couldn't be stronger. It's one of the strongest scriptures in the Bible, the one we have today, of the eternal consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ. Everyone needs to repent, Paul says, because God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who is that, do you think? Absolutely. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It was Billy Graham, whenever he preached, he usually included in his message, Proverbs 29.1, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. (laughs) It's a warning. 
But I want to give you a, a, an example. <laughs> the example I give you is the Apostle Paul himself, perhaps the foremost of persecutors and rejectors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a very poignant section of when he writes this letter to his, his brother Timothy and his son in the faith. And he writes this little word of testimony to Timothy. And it's so, listen to this. Hear it from Paul's heart. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now listen, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Isn't that precious? I mean, he says, I'm like a trophy of his grace. I, I, God reached out and saved me. He was a rejecter. You may be a rejecter today, but down in your heart, God is calling to you. and says, I love you. Seek me while I may be found. Help people who are rejecting him. Just, you know, one way you can do that? Give your testimony of how you found hope in Christ. You don't have to dive right in. Well, don't you believe he's the son of God? Don't you? Just tell people what he did for you. That's what Paul was, that's what he was saying. That's the best way you can relate to a rejecter. Well, I'm sorry, but let me just, can I tell you what he did for me? How I came to know him? The hope I found in him, the peace that he's brought to my life? <laughs> lastly for those of us who are receiving Christ the action point is to abide in Christ abide in him live a spirit filled life let the Holy Spirit control you think about God he wants to bring a, f a fruitfulness in your life you know he wants to be just as close to you on Monday morning as he is today, right now in this moment. He wants to be close to you every day. He wants you to, to involve him. He wants you to, to seek him, to turn to him. He wants your thoughts to be with him. Oh, I pray there's never a day, certainly not a day, that you wouldn't think about him. He loves you so much. And he wants to fellowship with you. He wants to be close to you. There's a joy. He, he wants to live life with you, experience life with you. He wants you to think about, hey, what, when you have a decision, you're thinking, what would God think about this? Before you say something, what would God think about this? If you're, before any course of action, the thought comes to you, what would God want me to do? Because I want to obey, obey him. In obeying him, I find that he abides in me. The Bible describes this kind of life, it pictures it in many ways, but one of the ways is in Psalm 1. It speaks of a person who meditates on God's laws, God's ways, morning and night. Now, come on, I know you have jobs. I, I'm not, you know what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is multiple times through the day, he comes to your mind. There are moments, there are glimpses. There are pauses in your life. 
of what you're thinking about him. Something happens to you and you think, How, oh, but God's word says this. There, that's what I'm talking about. It's just always on, oh, I just thought of that old country song, You Were Always On My Mind. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that, only not like that, okay? Just better, you know what I mean? But, but there's a sense of which, yeah, I'm always that kind of person. The Bible, that psalm pictures them, they're like a tree that's planted by streams of water. And the water just nourishes that tree. The water just flows up through the roots. It bears fruit in season. The leaves don't wither. I mean, there's a fruitfulness that God wants to bring to our lives, Christians. And so for those of you who've received him, the warning is this, don't drift away. Abide in him, don't drift away. Don't just, in case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, you know. Come on. Hebrews says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. And for the example, I just leave you with the example of Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Jesus often spent time in their home in Bethany. And uh, she is pictured in the scriptures as one who just sat at the feet of Jesus when he was teaching. He'd come to the home and she just wanted to be with him, sit with him, hear him. Guys, Jesus loves you. He wants to abide with you. He wants to produce fruit in your life. I don't know where you're at today, whether you're wrestling perhaps, um, whether you're rejecting, whether you are, have already received, but there's something for everybody. By the way, I want to just close in sharing something, especially if you're one of those wrestlers. <laughs> and I'll close with this. My brother-in-law, Jimmy, had Down syndrome. He went to be with the Lord. It'll be three years coming up in October. In his Bible, he underlined all of Psalm 131. And uh, I, I'd love every now and then I just pick up Jimmy's Bible and I like to read through it. He did not understand everything about God, but he understood the important stuff. And he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. But I always think of him when I read this psalm. And if you're wrestling to move, it says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. I'm not proud. My eyes are not raised too high. And then listen, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. There's some stuff I'll never understand. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child. Just a, like a child who's just resting in the arms of his mama. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. There's rest. There's hope. There's an abiding presence that God wants to give. Make a decision today to continue moving toward Jesus wherever you're at. Maybe today would be the day. What a great day to cross over and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Would you make that decision today as we close? Maybe you need refreshing. Maybe you say, I'm not abiding in God. I, my week gets away from me and life takes over. And I'm stressed, I'm harried, I'm, I'm irritable. 
you know. Pastors can, we follow the same trap, you know. I just need to be with God. I need to be with Him. Maybe you just want to make a commitment to abide in the presence of God more and more. How about this? Tomorrow morning when you get up, the first thing you do is say, God, thank you for a new day. Thank you for a new day. Would you help me today to live for you? Would you help me to be in, in the, help me to keep you in my thoughts? Wouldn't that be a great way? Instead of, where's the bathroom? <laughs> where's the, where, <laughs> you know. So you better do this before you get out of bed. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, you wake up and there's a problem that hits you. Don't you hate that? Like when you have a burden or a problem that's ongoing or facing you, and you wake up and for a brief second there's like, yeah, a new day, and then, oh. Oh, that problem's, you know. But why not just say, God, thank you for a new day. And this problem I'm facing, I need your help. Would you help me? I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. Well, listen, thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging in there and listening. Listen, would you allow these thoughts to just stir in your heart? Maybe reread the passage tomorrow and go through this again and say, God, help me with these things. And, and uh, if, you've, if you do receive Jesus today, we can pray for you. We'd be glad to pray with you today. Let somebody know that you've crossed over. Come, come up, and that just brings that solidifies that. If you said, "No, I've, I've been a wrestler too long. It's time to cross over." I sense God calling me. That listen, that's God calling you. That's that, that feeling you're feeling inside is God. Just do that. Let us know. We'd love to pray with you, support you, help you. Okay, but God bless you guys. Before we sing a song, let me just pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you. Your Spirit has been here with us, and. I want to thank you that even amidst all the different opinions about you and misunderstandings and even hostilities, you've given us enough that we can know who you are. I pray for our city and our surrounding area. I don't say it judgmentally at all, Lord. There are just many who, they don't know you yet. That They haven't come to understand how awesome and wonderful you are. What a gracious God you are. You raised up Hope Church that we might be ambassadors in this area to help people find you. So even today, I pray that you'd use us. Give us a greater sensitivity in our daily walk and our daily life where we can say a good word for you or tell someone what you mean to us. I pray for those wrestling that they would move even today to believe in you. For those who may be rejecting that they would do the same, that they would really change their heart, change their direction, and seek you while you may be found. Thank you for the warnings you give. And I pray that we would heed the warnings. Lord, and I pray for the believers here today that they would continue to abide in you. For in such you can bring a a great fruitfulness in our lives, a joy in our lives, even peace among storm, when we're facing storms. I pray for the people. Just ask your blessing on them. Thank you, Father, for meeting with us. In your name we pray. Amen.